Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Uh, We're going to jump right in this morning. I've got uh, quite a bit that I'd like to cover, and uh, we hope to cover it uh, as we look at David and Goliath. And as we, we're going to spend most of our time in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, but before we go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'd like to uh, take you to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and I'd like us to look at this to, uh, together. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, I, I want to remind us of something this morning. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Folks, uh, if you're a child of God this morning, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, You're in a battle. You're in a warfare, whether you want to be or not. The enemy of our souls is at work. He is the prince of the air. He is the prince of this world. And until he is finally subdued uh, in the end and cast into the bottomless pit, he is currently the accuser of the brethren. If you go to the book of Job, you find that he has access to the throne room of, of heaven, and, and he can point to each one of us, and he can say, uh, Lord, uh, look at Doug. Look at what a crud he is, you know. And uh, the neat thing is that the father's response is, yes, and look at the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, which covers all of his sins, all of his crud, uh, all of that. It's called grace. Look at that. And we are in this warfare. And uh, we may think that uh, our battle is against uh, Bill over here, but it's not against Bill at all. The enemy is, we are told, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Uh, I knew this morning, uh, I, I could feel it, uh, uh, I don't think uh, the enemy wants this message to be preached. And, uh, and there was internal warfare going on. And we need to be able to identify it. We need to be able to call it by name. And we need to realize that there's only one name under heaven by which we can rebuke it by. There's nothing in us, in our strength, in the flesh, but in the power of Jesus Christ and in the name of Jesus, we can rebuke the enemy. And that is where our victory comes from. Now, a young man, uh, anointed of the Spirit, knew this. His name was David. He was not king yet. But you will remember last week in uh, 1 Samuel 16, uh, we see that David is anointed as the new king of Israel, although he doesn't become king at that time. And uh, as we look at, at David, uh, uh, we come immediately after his anointing to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we see this uh, battle between Goliath the giant and David. 
And we are told that Goliath was nine foot, uh, about nine foot, nine inches tall, almost ten feet tall. He made Shaq look little, okay? Shaquille O'Neal, you know, I know he's retired now, but most of us still know who he is. I saw a pair of his shoes one time, unbelievable. Well, Goliath made Shaq look small. And... uh, uh, I think that, that God wants us to realize that as long as we're on this earth and, and, and we're living as a Christian, uh, as Matt talked about this morning, it's kind of like we're either in the middle of a storm, coming out of a storm, or headed to a storm. Is that encouraging? Does that lift you up? Huh? But, but I live up, up, up close to Powderhorn Ski Resort, and, and you can watch the storms come over the Grand Mesa. And uh, I guarantee you, sometime this winter, there's going to be a, a storm. And I can guarantee you, people at Powderhorn are praying for it. Uh, they want the snow. It's their livelihood. Uh, they count on the storms. And just like uh, nature, we're either in the middle of a storm, headed to a storm, or, or coming out of a storm. And in a way, we all have giants in our lives. Different giants, but they're giants. And there are many of you who are facing giants in your life this morning. Well, I want you to take one thing away this morning. God is greater than the giants. Amen? God is greater than the giants. And if we learn nothing else from David and Goliath this morning, I hope we learn that. I also hope that from the story that we see that uh, it goes much easier with these giants if we're walking in the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. Not simply walking by the Spirit, but but walking in the fullness of that Spirit. And then he becomes the warrior for us. Let's look at 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 2. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now that was almost ten feet. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. His armor weighed about 125 pounds. He also had a bronze greaves on his legs and bronze javelins slung between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a, a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. Uh, that's close to 15, 16 pounds, just the head of his spear. His shield, uh, he, uh, and then it says his shield carrier also walked before him. Uh, we have a giant And we have a giant of a man uh, with all kinds of armor on and battle array. And I mean, uh, Scripture calls him a champion. And the Philistines put him forward. Uh, The chapter begins with a giant. And the first thing we need to realize is that God permits or allows giants in our lives. They're going to come whether we want them or not. What do we do with them? How do we respond to them? The thing is, giants in our lives reveal our spiritual realities. The giants in our lives reveal what's really in our heart. 
when a giant comes into my life and I get angry, it possibly suggests that I'm not walking in the fullness of the Spirit and I'm being controlled by self and I'm being controlled by, by anger. Giants reveal the spiritual realities in our lives. Giants, uh, for me in ministry, can, can reveal whether it's ministry or a job. You see, if I make it a job, I've lost my ministry. And giants coming in can reveal whether, whether I'm ministering with a, a right heart or I'm just treating it like a job. Giants can make you, can't make you fear. They can only reveal fear. And sometimes when the giant comes in, we lay awake at night and we get full of anxiety and, and we forget Philippians 4, 6 that says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God with thanksgiving. Uh, uh, giants, they can't, they can't make us fear, but they can reveal fear. And then you'll notice that Goliath had a shield carrier. And this shield carrier went before him, and we aren't told how big his shield was, but judging from the rest of his armor and so forth, this thing was a big shield. And what it did is it became a mirror to the Israelites of their fear and of their lack of faith. In fact, uh, as we go through the Scripture here, we're going to see that... uh, uh, the Israelites, uh, they come down and, and they kind of do like a Maori war chant from New Zealand, you know. But, but then they turn and head tail back up the hill. And so this, this shield becomes a mirror of, of trailer lights, so to speak, because they turn and run. A giant is never satisfied to keep the status quo. Any giant that is in our life will we'll keep wanting more and more and more, and it will keep coming up the mountain. If we are not overcoming the giant, the giant will overcome us. And we need to know that. If we are not overcoming the giant, the giant will overcome us. Let's look at a few scriptures here in uh, 1 Samuel 17, and you'll see what I'm talking about. First in verse 8, it says, it's talking about Goliath. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. So you have the picture. You have the Philistines on one mountain over here. You have the Israelites on another mountain over here. And then you have the valley down here. Goliath comes down to the valley, and here are the Israelites standing on the mountain or the side of the mountain in all battle array, and he challenges them. And uh, (laughs) they really don't do anything. And uh, so we jump ahead to verse 16. Notice what verse 16 says. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. So in the beginning of all of this, Goliath was standing over here. But each day he came closer. Each day he came closer. Each day he came closer. Each day he came closer closer until he had crossed the valley in 40 days. 
And then if you jump ahead to verse 25, it says this. It says, the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming to defile Israel, and it will be the king, and it will be that the king will enrich the man uh, who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house uh, free in Israel. In other words, they would be tax exempt. <laughs> That's what it means. Okay. So, we not only have Goliath over here now, but what did verse 25 say? It said, Goliath is coming, coming what? Up, up. So, so over time, Goliath has come down off his mountain with his armies. He has crossed the valley, and now he's coming up the mountain of the Israelites. And folks, that's exactly what a giant will do in your life if you're not overcoming the giant. The giant will consume The giant will take over. Now, some of the giants in our lives uh, are, are, we might call them addictions. Uh, They could be drugs. They could be alcohol. Uh, It could be love. Uh, It could be sex. Uh, It could be porn. It could be food. A giant in our life could be anything that seeks to control us. Anything that seeks to control us. One of the most convicting books I've ever written is the book by Timothy Keller, Counterfeit Guts. And in that, he talks about idolatry and idol worship. And he says, if you want to know what your idol is, just simply look at what you daydream about. I wish he had never written that. You know, when I was growing up, they had uh, David Crockett movies and Daniel Boone movies and... uh, I've shared uh, this before, but I always dreamt about being Davy Crockett, uh, wearing buckskins and having a white horse and uh, a log cabin. And uh, uh, anyway, I got got most of all that stuff except the white horse. And uh, I shared this in a Tumwa, Iowa one time, not this message, but the the story of what I, I daydream about. Oh, had to have a lever action 3030 Winchester Model 94. And I have, actually, Peggy has one of those. In order to get one of those, I bought her one for Christmas. Uh, <clears throat> my, my grandpa on my mother's side taught me that. No, okay. Uh, I'll never forget the Christmas she got a fishing rod. She'd never fished in her life. My grandfather wanted a new fishing rod. <laughs> so he bought Madge one. Uh, so, so I bought Peggy a thirty thirty, uh, but but I shared that uh, I uh, had gotten all of my daydreaming stuff uh, in life, but uh, but the white horse. And uh, the next week uh, we had uh, twins in the church, twin girls who were twelve years of age, and and they pulled their allowance together and they bought me a white Barbie horse. And it had a beautiful mane, and it came with a brush and a mirror. wasn't exactly what I was picturing. But the fact that these two little girls listened to what I was saying, and they got their parents out that week and bought me a Barbie horse, I mean, that is a prized possession. And it went to my oldest granddaughter eventually. But... uh, but what is it we daydream about? What, uh, what are the idols in our lives? What are 
the giants in our lives. Sometimes it can be another, another faith like uh, Islam or when I pastored in Hawaii, 70% of the people were Buddhist. Uh, when I pastored in Utah, about 90% of the people did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and those can be giants, giants in the land and giants in our lives. I remember my first church plant, uh, as we began to look for a building, uh, it was a giant. Uh, uh, we started with 14 people. Uh, Peggy and I were the only ones in the church where English was a first language. And uh, most of our people uh, came from the Philippines. Most of our people worked two and three jobs. Uh, it was not a rich church at all. Uh, property has always been expensive in the island. And the property we ended up getting was $250,000, a quarter of a million property uh, dollars worth of property. Now, you don't think that's much, but today you need to know that that property is worth $6.2 million. So that puts it in perspective. And it was a giant. How are we going to get property? Fortunately, I've told you about him. God gave me a great spiritual dad, Uncle Jim, and over and over again, he'd say, Doug, don't be a doubter. Be a believer. God can do it. And God did do it. God not only uh, allowed us to get the property right after we got the property, he gave us a free house if we'd move it. He led us to a guy that would only charge us $1,500 to show us what to do and had all the equipment, and we were able to do that. He gave us a world-class architect, Francis Oda, free of charge, I was looking for someone to draw up remodeling plans. Uh, uh, a friend gave me the name of an architect. I called him. He was retired. He says, call this guy. And so I call this guy. You didn't have Google in these days, okay? You got to understand that. So I knew nothing about this guy. And I had him pulling up uh, to a house uh, to look at it with me. And uh, uh, he pulls up in a vintage Mercedes-Benz automobile. This is 1977, and he's on the telephone. Now, they didn't have car phones. I mean, they didn't have cell phones in 1977. They had car phones, and the whole car phone filled the whole trunk of his vintage Mercedes. He gets out. His name is Francis Oda. He's wearing an Armani suit. And I go, oh, Lord. <clears throat> Not that Francis was the giant, but everything about him just screamed, this is going to cost you, and this is going to cost you big time okay and so he starts looking it over and then uh, Francis Soda begins to laugh and I'm just a young guy I think I was 27 years old and uh, and I go uh, Mr. Oda uh, uh, what's so funny <laughs> he says you don't know who I am I said you're Francis Soda right <laughs> he says yes but you don't know who I am I go no I don't know who you are and I find out that uh, he had designed and built the uh, Hyatt Regency in Kaunapali on Maui. I find out that he had built the Marriott Resort over on Maui. I found out that he had designed and built the Capitol Building for Malaysia. I found out that he had built and designed the Business College of the University of uh, Hawaii up in Manoa. And he was absolutely right. I had no idea who he was. This guy was top dollar. <laughs> and I go, well, I said, 
do you know of a lowly draftsman that would work like for $10 an hour (laughs) that you could refer me to? And he laughed again. And it was the starting of a great friendship. He says, Doug, he says, I have walked around here. I've talked with you. He says, I sense that God is in this. And I want you to know that I will do it for free, but I will not put my name on the plans. Well, I didn't care whether the plans had names on them or not. I just needed the job done, right? Church planting. But then he went on and he says, but Doug, I will design you a second sanctuary because you're going to outgrow this first one. And he says, we will put our names on that one. And they won a national award for that particular design. But God did that. The giant was, how do we get property? How do we build a building? How do we come out with this? And God provided all the key players. And Francis Soda designed two buildings for free. Now, I'll tell you the rest of the story later. Giants. Some facts concerning giants. Now, remember, back in... 1 Samuel 16, 13, that, that we have this young boy, David, who, who wasn't all that handsome but had nice eyes, okay? Uh, and it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord became mighty upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So we see the anointing on David. Know that in Scripture, oil is always a type for the Holy Spirit. This is why in James 5, when you pray for healing, you call for the elders of the church and you anoint with oil. It's not us that heal. It's the Spirit of God that heals. And oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you who go way back in your faith, maybe in youth group you sang a song that went like this, and I'm not going to sing it because you'd all leave. But it was, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, keep me burning for the Lord, you know, give me oil in my lamp. That's the Spirit of God it was talking about. Well, as teenagers, we didn't know that, and I went to high school in Southern California, so then we started singing, give me wax for my board, keep me surfing for the Lord, you know, <clears throat> makes exactly no sense. But, uh, but the oil is the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, giants in our lives will reveal three kinds of warriors, and we've got to determine what kind of warrior we are. Uh, and before I tell you about the three kinds of warriors, very quickly I want to take you uh, to Genesis chapter 8. A.B. Simpson, really the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, who did not intend to be a founder uh, at all, in Genesis chapter 8 uh, Uh, He uses this story about Noah to express a theological truth about the Holy Spirit. And so in Genesis 8-8, the flood has come, the waters are starting to recede, and you'll remember this story. It says, excuse me, then Noah sent out a dove from him to see if the water had abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no no resting place for the sole of his foot, So she returned to him into the ark, uh, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. And then he put out his hand, and he took her, and he brought her into the ark uh, to himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he set out the dove from the ark, and the dove came to him 
uh, toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abating from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, and she did not return to him. Now, the dove in Scripture is a symbol of what? You got it. What? Okay, it's a, it's, it's a symbol of peace, and it's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so Noah sends out the dove the first time, and it comes back. And this is a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The, the Holy Spirit did not reside with everybody. We were not the temple of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The Holy of Holies was. And so the Spirit was sent to certain people for a certain season of time for a specific purpose. And so we see that... Saul was anointed by God and the Spirit rested on him. But as we saw last week, the Spirit of God departed from Saul, right? And then David was anointed, and we are told that he was mighty in the Spirit from that time forward. Now, secondly, the dove went out and it came back with what in its beak? An olive leaf or an olive branch. And here, Karen, you're exactly right. It's a symbol of peace. But so is that olive branch, a symbol of peace and reconciliation. And so the second time the Holy Spirit was sent out, it was in the person of Jesus Christ, who came and dwelt among us, and his death on the cross reconciled us to the Father. Amen? Amen. He paid the price. But after his resurrection, about some 40 days, what did Jesus do? He ascended into heaven and took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, right? So again, the Holy Spirit left. But then 50 days after the resurrection, we had a wonderful event called the Day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And the church was born. And as the early gathering had prayed, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon his church. And we become the temple of the Holy Spirit So that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are indwelt with his spirit. His spirit resides within us. And uh, and he's not going anywhere. And if we will allow him to, he will fill us with his Holy Spirit. See, the third thing is the dove went out and it didn't come back. Now, when we get into the book of Revelation and about Revelation chapter 12... We are told that the whole thing that is keeping the world from coming totally unglued, even though it's going through all kinds of tribulation, is that the restrainer is still present. And then it talks about the fact that the restrainer is removed. And this is a sermon for another day, but this gets us into the rapture and the fact that that the church is caught up to be with the Lord in heaven. And... uh, The restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is removed from the earth because the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit is what? Us, the church, the temple. And the church is not a building. The church is a people. And the Holy Spirit resides within us. So A.B. Simpson would give that teaching. And as that, in that teaching, I want us to see that there is the unanointed, the once anointed, 
and then the anointed of God. And we have to ask uh, at the end of the message today, which am I? Now, the unanointed were the soldiers. They were the seasoned veterans. They had been trained. They were experienced. They were motivated. And yet, when they came in front of Goliath with their whole army, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid and, and they were frozen in activity and they were trying to solve the problems themselves and by earthly means. We have people in the church today, and I'm talking about the church universal, that they're in the church, but, but they really aren't. They really don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, what they're doing, they are doing in the flesh. Uh, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 11, uh, and it would help if I turned over to 1 Samuel 17. I'm still looking at Genesis 8, trying to wonder why my verse doesn't fit. Okay, <clears throat> but in 1 Samuel 17, 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Then if you drop to verse 20, we see a false bravado where it says, So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array and shouting the war cry. You see, they would get all dressed up every day and they would go out and do the Maori war chant, but then they would turn and run. And so there was much false bravado. You know, our God is an awesome God, but then they run in fear. Our God is an awesome God, but then we put our tail between our legs and run, and that's what the army did. You know, I think the church uh, many times today, at least in America, has theologies of impotence. And I don't mean to offend anybody with this, but I... I think we need a good dose of spiritual Viagra. I really do. And yes, he said that. And uh, when I say spiritual Viagra, I mean a good dose of the Holy Spirit. We really do. I, I, think, I think we've almost become numb in some ways. Uh, would it make sense that God would use all his power in the Old Testament and not save any for the New Testament? No. Is there anything that God can't do? I mean, over and over again, and you're going to hear as part of the Advent season and the Christmas story, that with God, nothing is impossible. And, uh, and yet, we seem to have these impotent theologies. Uh, scripture, you know, we come to Scripture, and some of us interpret it in light of our experience, and some interpret it with no experience. And we come to Galatians 5.25 that says, if you live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. And, and we really don't know what to do with that verse. And when I talk about living by the Spirit, I'm not talking about some kind of charismatic experience. What I'm talking about is that we are so filled with Jesus that our thoughts are Jesus. We live for Jesus. We seek with our lives to honor Jesus. Yes, and we even ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation, in that situation? Jesus controls our behavior and our actions. We pray first, not last. We realize who's in control. I've heard a lot of different comments about our election, and we need to be praying for it. But the best thing I've heard about the election is don't despair, pray. 
Don't despair. Pray. Scripture tells us that, that no one gets elected that God doesn't allow. And it's for his purposes. He's working out his plan. Now, I, I tell you, <laughs> there are some days I listen to the news channels and I think, boy, Jesus is coming before the end of the week. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's a mess out there, but it's okay. Jesus has got this, and he's got it in his hands. So we, we look at the unanointed, the warriors who they have the battle array, but they've never known the Spirit of God because the Spirit hasn't been poured out upon them. And then we have Saul, a, a key person in the, in the story, who is the once anointed. If you look back at 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen, it says... Uh, It says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. It simply means that God uh, allowed him to be taken over by his own own fantasies and his own doings. Remember, instead of going to the Lord, he went to a medium. He went to a a witch. He went to a, a diviner of spirits to try and get word. And he opened himself up to stuff that he should have never opened himself up to. Once he was moving in the spirit, but now he's not. And we have a choice. We can move in the spirit or we can move in the flesh. And and this is where I like Henry Blackaby in Experiencing God. He says, look around and see what God is doing. Bill Bright, uh, the founder of Campus Crusade, now called Crew, Uh, when he put together the four spiritual laws. The first law was that God loves you and has a wonderful what? Plan for your life. The thing is, uh, when we get out of walking in the Spirit, all of a sudden we have a wonderful plan for our life and we hope that God will come and anoint that plan. And that's not how it works. No, it's his plan. His plan. And... uh, And we see that Saul walked away from his plan. And now that Saul is facing a giant in in the verses that we've read, we see that Saul tries to bribe people to do his work. He promised them money, and he even promised them his daughter, if you'll go do this. But remember, the king was Saul. And we see in verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17 that Saul even tries to discourage David. It says, Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. And I went out after him, and I attacked him, and I rescued it. From his mouth, and when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Now, when we lived in Alaska, a lot of people came up and had me take them fishing. And before we'd go fishing, I'd always read them this verse and say, I'm giving you this verse instead of bear spray. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, let, let's face it, David was. Uh, David was a stud. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. That's who he was. Uh, He chases the lion, the mountain lion. We've had mountain lions come out of our driveway. Uh, I'm not chasing them. If I'm going to chase them, it's going to be with blue-ticked hounds or or with walkers or maybe a good red bone. Uh, But it's going to be with dogs. It's uh, it's not going to be me chasing them. And there's no way I'm going to go grab a 
bear by its beard. Uh, <laughs> that's just suicide. Uh, and so we, we see that David had done these things. Saul tries to discourage him. And then Saul offers him his armor. And, uh, and it didn't fit. Folks, if you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, you don't need somebody else's armor. You don't need somebody else's methodology. You don't need somebody else's wineskins. I love Wayne Cadero in doing ministry as a team. He, he points out that when Joseph got into the, uh, Joseph, when uh, Moses got into the wilderness and, and needed help and the job was getting too big, uh, uh, one of the things that God told Moses to do was go collect metal and, and hammer out two trumpets. And he says, when you blow them, the people will come. Well, they pretty well looted Egypt when they left. So I can guarantee you they were trumpets out there, but they were Egyptian trumpets. And God didn't want them stealing somebody else's trumpet. He wanted them to hammer out their own trumpet, and then when they would blow it, the people would come. Uh, The thing is, in the church, it's easier for us really to do ministry in the flesh than in the spirit. Because when we do it in the flesh, we're in control. When we hand it over to the Spirit and allow the Spirit to do it, (laughs) we never know what's going to happen. If you go to Matthew chapter 21, you read about the cleansing of the temple, and Jesus comes into the temple, and what he got angry about is there were all these booths and so forth that were keeping people from the Lord, and they they had a booth that inspected your sacrifice, and if they expected your lamb and said it wasn't any good, they just confiscated it. And then they had another table where they sold you lambs. And uh, you showed up at that table and, you know, you had raised your lamb from a puppy. <clears throat> so you knew it real well. And what they do is they sell you their lamb, your lamb back, but they sell it to you at two to three times to four times the amount that it was worth. And in order to buy it, you had to go change your money into temple script In temple script, there was a service charge for doing that. So when Jesus came into the temple, there were all these booths that were keeping people from God, all these hoops they had to jump through. And in righteous indignation, he turned the tables over. And the outer courtyard of the temple was a mess. And when it was a mess, he began to heal people, the blind, the lame, and the children began to cry out and sing praises to his name. And the Pharisees got all upset, and he says, Have you never read that out of the mouth of babes will come praise to God? And the lesson I take away from that is when the temple was really, really messy, who was standing in their midst? Jesus. And after he left, and he pronounced a curse that said, not one stone will remain upon another, they got everything neat and orderly again, put back together. Everything looked good, but Jesus was no longer in their midst. There is a difference between religious activity and moving in the Spirit. This is why Ian Bounds says in The Power Through Prayer, He says, the church is looking for better methods and better programs. God is looking for better men and women, men and women full of the Holy Spirit who know how to pray, end of quote. Amen? Amen. It's not about the armor. It's not about the methodology. It's about the fullness of Jesus Christ. And then we come lastly to the anointed one, David. 
David had anointed his uh, sheep daily. It prevented heat stroke to anoint them with olive oil. It also uh, uh, kept ticks from clinging to them. And he knew the need for the anointing, and he had been anointed by the prophet Samuel, and the horn of oil had been poured out upon him. And while others saw adversity, David saw opportunity. Uh, <laughs> they said to David, you can't defeat him. And, and David's a teenager at this point. I see David saying, you know, <laughs> this guy, this, this dude, he's so big. You can't miss. Now, I, I pastored in, in Utah, and, and I'll tell you, there are Christians that are scared to death of the predominant faith in Utah. But if a person doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they have this God-shaped vacuum in their heart that is waiting to be filled. And I have to tell you, when I came to Utah in 1984 in the town of Price, <laughs> I saw that wherever we flung the gospel, it was going to stick because the place desperately needed the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we can trust the Lord in that. And this is what David saw. He, he, he saw a guy so big that he, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't uh, uh, miss. And, and if we get down to 1 Samuel 45, you know, Goliath for 40-some days has been telling Israel what he's going to do to him. Now David comes down, a teenager, no armor. He has a staff. Uh, in his belt he has a slingshot, not the kind you pull back like this, but an actual slingshot, the kind that you swing like this. Uh, two leather thongs with a, with a piece of leather in the middle, and you put a stone in there, and you can get great velocity. And uh, that's always a kind of a great craft project for middle school. And then they go out and break all the windows out of the church. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I learned that by experience. Uh, <clears throat> in 1 Samuel 17:45, we have David down there with seemingly nothing, and it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give you the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth and all that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by the sword or by the spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you, and he will give you into our hands. Folks, if you're facing a giant this morning in your life, and many of you probably are, I want you to hear this. The battle is the Lord's and he will give that giant to you in his hands. Amen. And that is the takeaway this morning. I don't care what the giant is. God is greater than the giant. Now, if we go back to verses 40 and 45, we see on the way down to meet uh, uh, Goliath, uh, David uh, uh, chooses five smooth stones. So five carefully chosen options. Now, some Bible scholars will say that Goliath had four brothers and David was ready. I can't prove that. I think, would it have been any less of a miracle if stone number three had found the mark than stone number one? No. 
And you've got to realize that many times with giants in our lives, God gives us multiple options. we just got to find out what they are. And in David's case, the first stone found its mark. Wonderful. But he had four backup options, and we know that they were carefully chosen because they, they say that he chose five smooth stones. Every giant has a vulnerable area. Notice verse uh, 54. Well, we, we see that David goes against Goliath. He puts a stone in his sling. He slings it around. He lets it go. It goes deep into his forehead. And uh, then David goes over. He doesn't even have a sword. He uses his Goliath's sword, and he chops off his head. And a wonderful tradition was started here. You'll never forget this. This is where taxidermy came from. Okay, I want you to see this. Notice verse, 1 Samuel 17, verse 54. Then David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his weapons in his tent. You see, he cut his head off and he had it mounted. I think this was probably over his master bed in his master bedroom for the rest of his life. Guys, I'm giving you permission here. <laughs> now, we've refined it. We don't, we don't put our enemies' heads and have them taxidermied anymore. We do elk, moose, goats, bear. Uh, and if you come to my house, you'll see many of them. If you go to Mike Miller's house, you'll see many. He's having his goat uh, uh, head taxidermied right now. Right, Mike? This is a good thing. You have biblical precedent here to share with your wife, okay? Uh, you're doing a good thing. David took Goliath's head to Jerusalem. But David was victorious, and it wasn't David. It was the Spirit of God in him, and God was honored in all the land because the people saw the work of God. Well, I want you to hear that God is greater than the giant in your life, and God can deliver you, and God can bring you through. And as we close this morning... Barna tells us for several years now that it has taken 100 Christians, $100,000, to win one person, just one person in America, to Jesus Christ. (laughs) May we know the difference between religious activity and walking in the Spirit? May each of us know the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and may we face the giants in our lives in the strength of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray, and the worship team has come up, and they are going to sing the song Jesus to us. And I want us to remain seated through that and allow that to be a prayer in our life and allow it to remind us who walks with us as we face the giants. Let's pray. Father, may this message this morning be more than just mere words. Lord, I pray that you would help your scripture and your thoughts to stick where they need to stick. And Lord, may we come away today absolutely assured that you that you are greater than the biggest giant in our life. And that you will give the victory. And that you desire all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. And so we give you honor and praise this morning, Lord, as we fix our eyes upon you and not the giants in our lives. Lord, we pray for deliverance. For 
it's in the name of Jesus we pray.